They do, yes. You can um, ignore mine sounds right now. I have a very lovely looking brisket. That's an hour number seven, and I'm just mopping it right now. <laughs> that sizzling, that sizzling you hear is it's it's my mop hitting the coals, and it's making this nice smoke. Tech Hockey Guide presents the Chasing McNaughton Podcast, covering the Michigan Tech Huskies and the WCHA with your host, Tim Brown, Rob Gilreath, and Dustin Lindstrom. Thanks for the great introduction from Mitch Lake once again. We're recording here just after Michigan Tech won the GLI on New Year's Eve. We're probably going to talk about a few things. I'm not sure if we're going to get to all of them, but we're going to talk about some of the top 10 moments of the last decade for Michigan Tech. Kind of touch on an uh, an all-decade team after I saw Ferris State kind of announce one at the GLI. And then Dustin's got some questions about how how to talk about maybe the WCHA going into uh, 2020 and the rest of the season. Kind of a forecast predictions kind of thing. We got a couple questions, and maybe we'll even, uh, and then we're going to preview the Arizona State series. So, uh, anything else you guys want to talk about? Otherwise, is that good? No, that pretty much covers it for me. Sounds good to me. All right. So, we'll take a little break, listen to some thank you notes, and maybe a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, we're back. So let's start with a recap of the GLI. Uh, I did a little math, and Michigan Tech is now 5-1 and one on the year when they are give up the first goal but score the second goal in a game. So, yeah, it's time for me to revise my hockey game strategy. I guess so. <laughs> that, might, that might be a, a better way to do it for the team. Uh, their only I, loss came to Minnesota State, where they gave up the first goal, scored to tie it, and then gave up the game winner and lost. Yeah, so spot a goal, get pissed, win hockey games. That seems fine. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how much the two games, like the timing is a little different, but it's crazy how much the two games kind of had the same uh, layout of goals, at least, where, you know, Tech gives up the first, ties it up, gives up another one, ties it back up, and then kind of takes over, gets the go-ahead goal, and actually got empty net goals. Two of them. Yeah, one each night. I'm not even sure. I tried to look it up, and I didn't get far, but I, I was trying to figure out the last time we scored an empty net goal, and it's got to be over a year and a half ago because I don't think they did it all last year. No, I, I'm not sure what the exact uh, time it's happened. It just feels like forever, that's for sure. Yeah. So it seems like as soon as we talked about this team not being able to come back after giving up a lead or giving up a goal, that's all they do. <laughs> and, and it's been great because I, I, it's nice to see them not like since that. I don't think they've fallen behind two goals. They may have not won, but they're not falling behind far, you know. Right. Well, and I think this, the game today, I mean, of the two games, the game today was the one that had me more worried. Michigan had us 
on the ropes for two periods, basically, it felt like. And then whatever happened to start the third, uh, things got better. <laughs> well, I think they played a decent second period overall, but Michigan did have some great chances. Jerusic was fighting the puck all day today, but he managed to do enough. And, I mean, you know, the only goal in that whole championship game was that wasn't kind of a fluke in some fashion or, or a weird goal, whether it went off a defenseman or, or deflected some weird way, was the winner. You know, you know, Jerusic gets his skate or gets his skate to the pipe, but not his pads. So there's just enough room for the puck to skate or slip under for the, what was that, the, the second goal for Michigan? Their second goal, yeah, I believe so. That doesn't happen all the time because usually he's, you know, usually your leg is you try and get back far enough so the pad is what hits the pipe, not the skate itself. And just a weird kind of fluke thing that he just didn't quite get enough there. Otherwise, you know, they, you know, after that first period where they just got dominated on shots, like I'm amazed that that game ended up only being a minus six for shot differential the way that started. Yeah, they definitely came back hard. You give up 20 in a period, that's usually not a good indication for the rest of the game. You're usually... You're usually looking at uh, a little bit more put in, but, you know, he kept him in the game like he needed to. And I kind of wish I had seen the shot chart before, you know, for the last, after Logan Pietula's hat trick goal, I would have liked to seen what the shots were at that moment because they obviously went into a bit of a shell to protect the lead and didn't quite try as much offensively. And Michigan obviously turned it up trying to get that tying goal and, and it's and and uh, it would be interesting to see how many shots you know Michigan got credit for after that, and whether or not it was actually like tied up at that point. Because I know it got really close, and I don't think Tech got much for shots at the end, other than the the empty netter itself. But it was a good game. Like I'm kind of surprised the tournament went the way it did, but I'm happy it did because I think it's pretty awesome that Michigan Tech for the first time ever beat Michigan State and Michigan to win the GLI. Um, you know that's kind of a pretty pretty impressive thing especially considering how long it's been going on but yeah, i'm amazed it hasn't happened before that when they said that on the broadcast i there's one of those where you go huh makes sense but still crazy that that's the stat yeah and i think some of that too is like i don't think the current format existed back when we actually won this thing like i don't even think michigan state and michigan were both in this tournament most of the times when we won it um and then you go back i mean i can actually look here quick but yeah, it's hard to believe that they're that that that's the first time ever. Yeah, the only times they've won it with Michigan and Michigan State in the tournament before uh, this year was the the 2012 win, but they didn't play both. They played Western in the title, and then 97 or 79 and 78 or 79 and 80, they played one of the Michigan or Michigan State in the first round, or didn't play. They played Wisconsin and Harvard in the first round both those years, not Michigan and Michigan State played each other in the semifinal back then. Yeah, I think 79 is the first year Michigan State was a permanent invitee, right, I believe. Whether or not that's the status they got, but that's that's the last time. That's when it started, yeah. Before that, I don't think both teams had ever been in it together. Well, they have. So 1968. They beat Wisconsin for the title, but Michigan and Michigan State were both in it. So, um, yeah, it's yeah, that's an interesting stat. I never would have guessed that based on the history of the tournament. But when we were really good at this tournament, you know, Michigan and Michigan State were not both in it. So most of the time, and then we kind of went on our lull after I was born. <laughs> yeah. Well, someone was talking about uh, 
you know, I think maybe on the college hockey subreddit or something like that, someone was mentioning the fact that uh, he's never seen Michigan State uh, in the final as a as a fan. <laughs> it's kind of reminiscent back going, you know, I, it, it went until what 2007 before we even got to. It seemed like we even got to the final game since I've been watching. It's been a long time, so it's nice to look at that big chart on Wikipedia. There's you can look at the history of GLI there. And, and see us uh, the last few years, you know, from 2012 onwards, w- with the exception of 2014, we've been in the championship game. So Yeah, and you don't want to get confused by those years where Colorado College made the final and the colors match. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but it's... Yeah, there's a couple of those. But, uh, you know, you go from from basically GLI being, uh, well, we're going to play the second early game every year for a long time. Yeah, and, uh, and, and it is a it is a testament to how much better they have been under Pearson and now Joe Sean that they have made the championship game. They have not lost the first game of this tournament since 2011. Yep, and that's what you have to do in a tournament like this. You have to go out and win. Oh, I guess they didn't. I guess they did in 2014. Sorry, but they've been in seven of the eight of the last eight championship games. Uh, you know, it's nice to get rid of that drought. Whereas from 2001 to 2011 they made the championship game once yeah and and lost twice all but two years so it's it's a it's a nice change to be playing for something in this on the second day of this tournament and winning it twice i wish they'd won a few more times but you know it's it's good to have it the way it is and and hopefully they can continue and i do think you know, we're probably going to talk about this a little later, but the GLI is a big deal to Michigan Tech, and both those wins are probably top 10 moments of this decade in some fashion just because of how important that is to the team, especially the 2012 win to finally do it and then to beat Michigan and Michigan State this time around. And Logan Pietla, a freshman of all all people, to get a hat trick. And what's that now, three hat tricks on the year for the team? Yeah, three on the year, which... I mean, we had to go back a while to see when the last hat trick even was when the first one happened this year. So to have three this year already is is fun. And I think that they've all been underclassmen too, right? It, it's been yep. Pietola, Bratzman, and... Uh, Peritino. And Peritino had the one, right? So Yeah. No, it's pretty cool just to see that that uh, the offensive spark. And, you know, those were, you know, that uh, he did a good job on all three goals to get, you know, to take the shot and take a chance that, that tying goal, I don't know how that one went in. It, it looked so weird that, like, from where he shot it, I didn't think that was going in. But it, it's awesome that it did, obviously. It looked like the goalie got a little bit on it because it goes downwards into the net from his his glove arm, but he just missed times. Yeah, he somehow got it under the glove but above the pad and yep. just deflected it down and didn't get enough. So worked out. Anything else about the GLI guys? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's huge, and it, and kind of going back to the um, the non-conference schedule that we talked about a couple weeks ago that hasn't really turned out the way we thought it would. Yeah, WCHA in general has uh, been a letdown. Michigan Tech is the only team that has won or tied a non-conference game during this stretch that we were talking about. There could have been 17 non-conference games. They have now played 10, 11 of them, and the conference is two... Two eight and one in those games, and Michigan Tech is two one and one. Yeah, that's uh, that should have gone better. Let's put it that way. It should have gone better. A lot of it comes down to Bowling Green laying an egg at home against Miami, and Michigan or Minnesota State and Bemidji State 
both losing on the first day of Mariucci Classic, where I did not expect those two teams to go 0-2 total in non-conference for that tournament. I thought one of them for sure would win on the first day, and then who knows what happens on the second day. But I thought they'd at least go like 2-2, much like the GLI went. And then Lake State played a good tournament, taking Providence to overtime, but they lost in... And in uh, they took an NCA loss by losing in the five-minute OT, and then they gave up an empty netter to lose to Vermont the next day. And they were kind of hurt by the fact that that tournament was not set up to have winners play winners and losers play losers because Vermont and Providence are in the same conference and Vermont's the host, so they chose to have it be Vermont and Providence play the other two teams. So that didn't help. Lake uh, Lake State because it would in a normal tournament it would have been Providence and Vermont in the title and I don't remember who the fourth team was Union I guess so they would have got Union and then I think they'd have a better shot there but it is what it is like I'm not a big fan of those tournaments that are set up that way if you're gonna do a tournament play it like a tournament don't go in with a pre pre scheduled yeah I agree and I also think it, it if the Mariucci Classic is gonna keep involving Minnesota schools I think. I think what they should do is rotate inviting one NCHC team, one WCHA team, and then get one team from out east to come. And that way it, you don't have to worry about what happened this year. Maybe they don't care because Minnesota doesn't care because there's not going to be two Big Ten teams in it. But yeah, so all we've got left to get eight wins, which were not, which is not possible now, but they're, they're only playing 15 games because of the way the Mariucci Classic went, and they could get a max of six wins. Because uh, there's only four games left, two between Huntsville and North Dakota, and two between Michigan Tech and Arizona State. Um, we'll talk about that series a little bit later, but I can't imagine that this is going to result in more than four wins for the conference. I, I would be pretty shocked uh, to see Huntsville. <laughs> I'd love to see Huntsville find a way to get a tie, but I don't have much hope in even that. How many players does UND have out for World Juniors? I, I haven't looked at that, but not maybe enough. they're shorthanded. <laughs> not enough. <laughs> not enough. <laughs> That's probably very true. <laughs> they can feel the team. I have a feeling Huntsville's going to have some trouble. <laughs> so North Dakota is missing two players. Okay. Yep, that's not enough. <laughs> no, not <laughs> right. They're missing Jacob Bernard Docker on Team Canada, who's the only college player, I believe, playing for Canada this year. And then they're missing Shane Pinto on Team USA, and that's it. Michigan was missing two players today, Cameron York and John Beecher for the GLI. So it didn't go the way we wanted. It definitely is not great for the league overall because now we're looking at, I think Michigan Tech climbed, what, they're up to 16. Bowling Green's down to 18 now. So now you've got a problem of, you know, both of those teams are going to have to, like, probably win three-quarters of their games the rest of the way to, like... I mean, Tech has a good shot at... If they can sweep Arizona State, they've got a little more leeway. But even then, you don't know how big the bubble is because of who's going to win these tournaments at the end of the year. But that loss to Miami, unless Miami goes on a tear the second half, which is possible with a new coach that maybe they'll get better. But, you know, that loss really hurts them. I don't know what to think of the chances of getting multiple, you know, you know, we were talking at one point that you, you had three, maybe four teams getting in and now you're looking at 
two or three depending on what tech does here but let's see if we switch bowling green to winning yeah bowling green's 11th right now if they beat miami instead they're 20th yeah that one hurts like we've already talked about though that that's the importance of winning these non-conference games yeah it impacts the entire league and you can't have teams that are supposed to be at the top of this conference go out and and lose important non-conference games because it's the difference for, between getting two and or potentially four teams in the tournament. It's true. I mean, look at Minnesota State loses to St. Cloud. St. Cloud State is like 40th in the pairwise. Like, that shouldn't happen. But for whatever reason, they came out flat and St. Cloud State did not. And they paid for it. And that wasn't just a little bit of a loss. They got spanked. Yeah, they just, you know, and we were going to have Eric Vigo on from uh, GPL today to talk about uh, his impressions of the two teams at the Mariucci Classic, but after the results, there's not much point because I don't, I doubt he paid much attention to the Minnesota State Bemidji game, and I don't know what you're going to take away from that. But if you take a look at the two other games that they did play in non-conference, you know Bemidji State played their typical game and had a chance, and then kind of fell apart at the end, and Minnesota State fell behind and never caught up, and it wasn't good at all. It's just not good that the th- those those three games in particular really stink when you're talking about three of the top four teams in the WCHA losing one, you know, single games that basically hurt the conference as a whole. You can't, well, Bowling Green, I guess, is currently fifth, but that's, you know, it's so clustered that they're, they're still a good team. And probably, you know, they're obviously one of the best based on pairwise, but yeah, you can't have, you know, your top teams losing to game teams that are like, bottom of the pairwise in another conference it doesn't help so since we've kind of talked about what things have happened so far dustin you want to give your list a go yeah so for as a preview for the second half of this season i put together a list of five questions uh that you guys have not seen before and Uh (laughs) uh, i'm going to ask you to answer them on the spot and then I'm going to record your answers, and we we can revisit this in March. So <laughs> make sure that you're right about this stuff. So. And if you want to hear the answers <laughs> to these questions, sign up for Patreon, because I'm going to cut them up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Question number one. Will a team have to travel to Alaska for playoffs this year? Hmm. Oh. It's close. I think there is a chance a team goes to Fairbanks. I... I there is not a chance a team goes to Anchorage unless it's to get to Fairbanks. Yeah, this is a this is a Fairbanks question, not an Anchorage question. <laughs> I guess the biggest question there is more than likely Bowling Green moves up into the top four, but I also think there's a decent shot that Bemidji State kind of falls out depending on the schedule. I guess I'd have to look at that. So, so I looked at Bemidji State's schedule last week. Yeah, and Bemidji State schedule gets significantly tougher in the second half. Uh, they play Mankato four times, I believe, and this is going off memory. It's four times against Mankato. They got Bowling Green at Northern. They play Tech. They basically have they play at Alaska or at Anchorage, at Huntsville, host Ferris, and everything else is against the top five. Correct. Well, top six, because I think Northern is six. So I'm going to go with yes, because I think Bemidji falls out of the top four. And the top four ends up being Minnesota State, Michigan Tech, Bowling Green, and Alaska. Yeah, I think I think they make it. So I, I'm going to go with yes. Okay. 
I agree. I think Alaska stays up. I mean, they're top four right now, right? They're, I think, third or fourth, aren't they? They're tied for fourth, but they have they have two games in hand. Or Bowling Green has two games in hand on them, and so does Bemidji State. I, I still think they stay up there, though, I think. Yep, so they're right on the bubble right now. Yep, they are fourth by points, but probably but fifth. The big thing for me is you look at the schedule Alaska's got left. The games they have to travel for with, I mean, the first series they've got coming up here is Minnesota State. You know, those are obviously difficult. But their other two travel series, they've got Ferris and they've got Huntsville for their travel series. So in the games where they've got the big adjustment and the travel coming up are two of the what should be the more easy series. The rest of the series they have are they've got four series at home to finish the year off. And that's a tough trip, right? That first game of the weekend always ends up being a difficult one when you're up in Alaska anyways. Uh, so I don't know. I think they've got a good chance to maintain state top half. I think we will see a, at least a first round playoff, uh, in Alaska this year. I agree. So the goal is to not finish fifth then because you're probably traveling to Alaska. (laughs) Right. Right. But in a best of three series, I'll live with that. Okay. Question number two, will Mankato lose another conference game this season? Yes. Okay. I'm looking at the schedule myself to see real quick. But they will, yeah. They play Bowling Green yet, who beat them at home, or in Mankato, right? Correct. But they go to Bowling Green for two games. They they go to Alaska, or Anchorage, I mean. Yeah, and this is our year to only play them one series, so. Yeah, and then they have Northern Apomiji. Like, I, I'm going to go with yes, because I think they're, well, maybe not, because they're bye week. They have a bye week in there, but it, they, after the bye week, they host Huntsville. So I would have I would have definitely said they... I'm going to go with yes, because I don't think they can go 16-0. and 0. I just don't, like, they're going to have another game like they did against St. Cloud at some point. Yeah, I don't think you go 16-0 and 0 to finish the year. Yeah, I, I think so, too. They, they've had, um, I don't know if they've fallen off or what, but they don't look as invincible as they did three weeks ago, right? No. It'll be interesting to see, because, like, and maybe the, the Jackson, uh, what's-his-name-will regret leaving. Yeah, Stauber or whatever it was, right? Yeah, McKay obviously didn't look good against St. Cloud, but... I'll feel a lot more confident that they do lose a conference game if coming off the bye they played a team not named Huntsville. Like if they came off the bye and had to go to Bemidji just because of the way the bye week, they were so flat Saturday. I mean, even Sunday against Bemidji State, a 2-0 win isn't isn't impressive. So yeah, I'm going to go with that they do lose a game. Okay, Rob, what was your answer? I'm going to go one step further and say they drop two at least. Okay. <laughs> I don't think there's any way they one they go 16 and 0 out to finish the season. That's just that's too much, right? And they're gonna lay an egg against one of the bottom teams at some point. It just seems to happen to somebody in the WCHA. You have that game where you should win and you don't, right? Right. And they've still got mm-hmm. they've still got uh, two games at Bowling Green. There's no way they make it all the way through. I think they drop two games the rest of the year out. Well, that's what I'll call 14-2 and two is their, their record the rest of the year. Okay, question number three. Now, this uh, relates to the first question that we already talked about. I feel like I should be taking notes. Pick the four teams to host first-round playoff series. Well, Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I already answered that one. Minnesota State, Michigan Tech, Alaska, and Bowling Green. Yeah, that'd be my pick for four as well, based on how things are going so far. And then I would guess that Bemidji State goes to Alaska. Yeah, Northern Northern and Bowling Green are the two that I think can swap. I think I think uh, that's that's where we'll see 
That's where we'll see the uh, the swap there. I, I think the biggest chance of Alaska not hosting is if Northern and Bowling Green jump them, which is possible too. You know, they're not far behind. No, I mean, everything's pretty crammed there. From Bemidji all the way down to Northern, I mean, there's only a separation of, of four points, right? That's That's not a lot of separation there. Yep, especially when you've got you know, Bemidji, you know, Tech and Northern or Tech and Alaska have 24 points, but they have two games, two more games played than all the other teams in that group. So yep. I, I think it's, yeah, Minnesota State, Tech, Alaska, and Bowling Green. Okay. Question number four. Who is going to be Tech's leading scorer for this season? Oh, with the amount of hat tricks we seem to be having this year, anybody could jump to the front of the line. Ooh, wow. I did not expect goats to be that high. Without looking before I look. No, he's uh, he's having a decent year. This this under this set of underclassmen this year. Not to you know downplay any of the the upperclassmen at all, but this set of underclassmen this year is is exciting. Well, look at Sereski. He's got eleven points in eighteen games. I mean, if you so if if you start if you start the list by points for the team right now, right? You've got to go all the way down to to sixth in points to. To start hitting the upperclassmen, that's where where Donahue's at with eleven, and then you've got Smith right underneath him at ten, and then you got to go quite a ways down to get down to Missiak uh, in in the points list. So it's the underclassmen that are producing for for sure. From a, a goals perspective, I want to say based on how this how it's been going so far, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Bliss up there as the the leading goal scorer at the end of the year for us. Did we say goals or points? The points. The question is points. Points? Yep. I'm still going to go with Bliss. Yeah, I'm going to go with Bratzman. So Rob says Bliss and Tim says Bratzman. Yeah, what do you think, Dustin? I picked Bliss. Okay. I think he's been more consistent. They're only separated by one point, one point right now. Yeah. And I think they're as far as skill level, the two players are very even. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's just more of a hunch more than anything that I think Bliss is going to have a good second half. Well, I think he's been, you know, Brossman had the big game against, was it Robert Morris? Yeah, I think he had the hat trick versus Robert Morris. You know, and that's early on. So, like, you know, if you take that out, Bliss has been better the rest of the year. But, yeah, so I know that's what we talked about. But the one thing that really stood out to me when I was looking at the all-decade team stuff is Parker Soretsky is a freshman. He's played 18 games so far in his career, and he is currently 10th in the decade for points per game. It's a pretty good trajectory. Not a shabby place to be. I guess he he fell to 13th after today, but or 14th after, or yeah, 13th after today because he didn't get a point. But anyway, it's still pretty impressive that a kid that hasn't played, you know, uh, he's a leading scorer among freshmen, and it was a wide margin before today. <laughs> it's a little narrower now, one point between him and Pietula after that hat trick. But, you know, it's pretty impressive what, both of those kids have done so far as as freshmen. Yeah, I think you know the reason I'm going to go with Bliss over Bratzman is Bliss just seems to be a little bit more consistent. Bratzman seems to be kind of streaky with his points, whereas Bliss, uh, if you look at uh, you look at this, uh, the, his recap of the year, I think just reading it off right now, he only has maybe six or so games where he doesn't have a point. Yeah, and most of those were. Nope, oh, sorry, a little bit more, a little bit more than that, but. He's a little bit more consistent on his production. He's He's got eight games with points out of the last 12. Yeah. So he started a little slower, but he's been pretty consistent since then. 
Well, and he seems to be the guy that maintains the puck possession in the offensive zone a lot, and it puts him it puts him available for assists a lot of the times. Whereas Bratzman seems to be more the you know sniper style, take advantage of it rather than being the guy that's winning the puck back. He's getting the feed and, and finishing, where where Bliss is maintaining puck control and uh, and passing it, getting assists. So I think the the combination there of the you know of more assists is what leads him to have more points in the end. But the interesting thing is both of them have been doing. I mean, Brossman has points in four of the last, or yeah, four of the last five games. But you know, five, four of the last six games, if you go back and take the whole Alaska or Anchorage series, whereas, and Bliss is pretty much the same. Well, he's got a little bit of a gap in there too. So, yeah, four of the last six, they've is the same for both of them for scoring. All right. Uh, so the question number five is. How many WCHA teams make the tournament? <laughs> yeah, I would like you to ask me this one next week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think next week, like like Tim just said, is what that's what's going to make the difference. If if we sweep Arizona State, I'm going to go with three: Tech, Minnesota State on pairwise ranking, and then the tourney winner. If if we split or get swept by Arizona State, I'm going with just two. So if I had to pick between those two, being a the optimist, I'm going to go with three because we are going to sweep next weekend. <laughs> I'm going to go with two because I think... I think two is the realistic answer. Well, no, but I still think two is the realistic answer because I'm not sure Tech and Minnesota State don't win the tournament. Fair enough. Like, I, it's hard to answer till you know more, but, like, I'm going to go with two because I think we know, like I think that's the safer bet because Minnesota State's in unless they collapse, and then I you know unless they somehow win the tournament, we're getting two teams in, and I don't I yeah I'm gonna go with two. Well, my worry there with from a two versus three as well is even even if we are on you know looking at a, a pairwise bid for Tech depending on how the next weekend goes, if someone else does win the tournament, there's a really hefty chance that with where our pairwise is right now, that we are the bubble team that gets bounced by that tournament championship team. Especially if we don't lose the championship game and lost the best of three series to that team. Somewhere yep. else, correct. Yep. Yeah, agreed. Definitely. So two is the safe answer, but I want three. <laughs> well, I want three too because it'll piss off the rest <laughs> of the country, but I'll, I'll, I think it's two. And I probably would have said three if Bowling Green beats Miami. Dustin, great questions. That was kind of fun to go through without even having seen them before. Yeah, without knowing the questions, that makes it a little more difficult. Well, that's part, yeah, that's part of the fun, though, right? I will say this. We got some constructive criticism from our, our columnist there, Mike Antleitner, but, and it was, it was good. And I think I've made more effort today to be better prepared or have my computer set up right so I can look things up quicker and not uh, be twiddling my thumbs trying to get stuff to load and... And you guys can hear us trying to get stuff to load, per se. <laughs> it can be a little quicker with it. Yeah, so I think that I've helps. Note, I've got a note sheet up. <laughs> so the other big news that came out this week was that uh, Joe Sean and the staff decided, I, I assume it's the staff that made that decision versus the players, but they decided to upgrade Alex Smith to a co-captain alongside Ray Bryce and then give Alec Bratzman an A. I think both decisions are well deserved, and and maybe it goes and and I'm sure Dustin, you will chime in with what you said before, but but I think it goes back to, you know, I think Joe 
one the one player that Joe really really trusted going into this year was Ray Bryce, and that's why he got the captain's arm or the captain's C. And the rest of the guys, you just did you catch me, Rob, with the little soccer reference there? I almost said armband. Yeah. And uh <laughs> yeah. And um and and Bratzman, you know, he you know, I think he did Joe didn't have a great feel for who his leaders were yet out of that sophomore class to give any of them a letter. But you know, I think it was a great decision to do both of those at this point in the year. So you get a lot less questions about how come your captain's not dressed. And but I do think it was great that Ray got to dress today after not playing yesterday, right? Yeah, he didn't play the first game. Played the second yeah, game. So he got to be there to lift the trophy and not be in street clothes for that. Um, even though that might not have been the, the smartest choice in the world with, you know, the major penalty taking a defenseman away kind of thing that could have happened. Yeah, um, it seems like it worked. But, <laughs> but it was uh it was a good situation. It worked out fine. I, I like having Ray Bryce's energy out there. He's a great fourth liner. Um, so yeah, I, I think it was a good decision. You guys got anything you want to say about that? I think it makes sense to have a captain on the ice like we've talked about before. So, no, I just I think I said it earlier this year, but I'm glad that we have um, so many in the sophomore class now in that leader, leadership group because I, I just think really highly of of the talent that's on that class and having somebody there as a leader too is 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 going to be a big benefit. I think, and it's good to get those guys in those positions. Um, you know, at this point, because in a few years, that's going to pay dividends, I think. I agree. I mean, it's hard not to look at that class and see the future because you've got, uh, what was it on the, on the stats there? Like they're, what did you say, Rob? Like the top, yeah, the top five scorers are all freshmen and sophomores. Yeah, the top five at least. Um, the Eight of the top ten are freshmen and sophomores. So, yep. Hey, you got to go all the way down to 11 to get anybody other than, or you got Donahue and Alex Smith in the top 10, and then you got to go down to 11 to get another upperclassman in Reitmeyer. I'm surprised with Misiak that he's not up higher. It, I don't know. It just feels like he should be higher. I think he creates a lot of plays, yet it seems like maybe they're not finishing his plays or he's the third assist kind of thing. Yeah. Well, he's always up there on the forecheck making, and, uh, making causing trouble. And causing turnovers. And he's making the turnover, but it's but it's maybe not lead like it's leading to a goal, but not fast enough for him to get the credit per se. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I always I've always liked his attitude. I'm kind of surprised he doesn't have a letter, but at the same time, maybe he's not like he's a lead by example guy. I think versus vocal, which I don't have a problem with, but sometimes that's not who he, like maybe that's why he doesn't have a you know have the C. Uh-huh. The other statue thing that's surprising to me while we're talking about stats, you know, the stats right now at the half, is that Paul Glaze has zero points in 20 games played. And he's a guy that, you know, if when he's out on the ice, he always feels like he's the same thing, like Missy at causing trouble up there on the forecheck, pushing hard, but he doesn't, he doesn't have any points yet. That I find that really surprising as well. Yeah, he almost scored today. He has one point in his career and no goals. Yeah, it just it just feels like he should have some points. Yeah, and he doesn't, but that's that's the way it is sometimes. The other thing that I just noticed looking at the stat sheet is that uh, there's a good chance that Alec Brotsman will win the points question because he has 30 more shots than anybody else on the team. Yeah, yeah that's that's 
That seems like a statistical anomaly more than anything. Yeah, but it's weird. Maybe that's a typo but, on College Hockey News, but I that seems that is, way too high. Because I think he, you know, I, I think part of it is because he, he's not afraid to take a shot where some of the other guys might be looking for the pass more. And you can yeah. kind of sense that in the way he plays sometimes. Well, someone's got to finish the chances, right? So Right. So let's go ahead and answer the big question that we got this week and see how we're doing on time after that. So Patrick Coro sent in an email about the, the, the GLI and refs and asked, why does the GLI always have Big Ten refs? And, and if we go back to before the shuffling, they usually had CCHA refs. He said he's not saying WCHA refs should be used because they suck, but because there always seemed to be a bit of a bias to the Big Ten or or the CCHA over the years. Does uh, We'll just go with that one. He asked if Jerusik was the MVP, but Piedla was announced as the MVP. They didn't do a very good job of making that clear on the broadcast. I don't think... No, I had no idea who it was from the broadcast. The radio guys didn't catch it. The TV... Uh, the the graphic on the TV said I thought he was the MVP, and I did find a tweet from uh, Michigan Tech Hockey that he was announced the MVP, so we, we can just let that one go, that Pietro was the MVP, and that's already on Wikipedia. But for the ref question, I think some of it comes down to the budget. The, the There are likely CCHA or Big Ten refs nearby, and... You know, there's two Big Ten teams in this every year. Not two. Well, lately it's been two WCHA teams. But I, th- and in all honesty, from what I've heard, from my impression from Joe over the years, is that I think he prefers the Big Ten refs because I think they are more consistent, depending on how they call the game. But I think overall they are more consistent and and. The fact that we got this question after the championship game, and um, yeah, so it was after the championship game was over. I don't know how you can look at this series in particular, or this weekend in particular, and say there was bias, because I thought I saw plenty of calls both ways, where there was a lot of play along the boards, where guys were jabbing at the puck with their stick and somebody fell down. And they never called that penalty all game on both teams. They let it and go. And there, there were also there were a lot of just fights for the puck where the two guys were going at it, and one guy happens to go to the ice. Yeah, and they let it go. My gut feeling on that is a WCHA ref's hand is going to go up right away. You're going to get, you know, an interference or a holding. I don't get how with WCHA games interference gets called half the time because the puck's there. And by definition, interference means the puck's already gone. You got two guys fighting for the puck. That's hockey. Well, and maybe maybe some of Patrick's question is directed. I did think that one penalty yesterday on Tech was a bit questionable. I think that was yesterday. Or was that... Uh... I think the only two things I would have a complaint about from today's game were third period. Uh, there were a couple of times when a Michigan guy went down to the ice and his momentum carried him through a tech player down near the goal line. And those, to me, should be called as a trip. But overall, that's one of my favorite games of the year from a refing perspective. There was one penalty. We got to watch actual hockey, five-on-five, guys playing hard, 
hits both ways, and just you didn't have that ticky-tack interruption. You had just hockey being played. It was fantastic to watch. I wish all of our games were ref that way. But I, I do agree with Joe's complaint during the game that he, on the in the in-game interview about letting letting Mel sit and talk to the refs for two minutes while they get more time to decide if they're going to review the, the, the offsides on the, on the Tech's first goal. Yeah, I didn't understand that, and I didn't. I guess I missed the between periods interview. They they did a bad job at times of leaving Dirk's audio working during intermissions to hear that stuff sometimes, and I might have been distracted when that happened too. But yeah, I I was a little shocked at how much I had no idea what he was even arguing. Like, if I'm not mistaken, if you want to ch- if you want to review offsides on a goal, you have to challenge it. Right? There is no. The refs or the referees on their own will not go to review. Yes, you have to challenge. So it's either review it or note. There's no arguing for two minutes over it, right? And taking the momentum out of that goal. Right. No, but what 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 was said during the interview on the broadcast? Like during the during gameplay, they interviewed Joe on Fox Sports Detroit. Okay, that's why we didn't hear it because we were watching the. Yeah, watching the stream, we didn't get that. Yeah, so, so I was watching on Fox Sports Detroit. And what what Joe said during the game was that what Mel was Mel was just there taking the, the referee's time, so they had more time in the booth for their their staff upstairs to look at the replay themselves, so they had more time to decide if they wanted to challenge it or not. Oh, so it's kind of like how baseball is now implemented. Like you have thirty seconds to challenge a play in baseball or whatever, so you don't right. So you don't walk out and talk about it and then challenge. In all it. honesty, that's that's good gamesmanship and good coaching gamesmanship from Pearson's perspective. Well, that's what that's what Joe said. He was upset but, about. But the ref should not let it go on Agreed. that long. Like Agreed there's a difference completely. between thirty seconds and two minutes. I don't blame Mel though for trying. Right. No, that's that's Mel's job but as ref, a coach to exactly, do that. But the ref should not allow it. Yep, for sure. But a Big Ten ref might allow a Big Ten coach a little more leeway than, say, he would have given Joe in the same situation. Sure. And that's all speculation, of course. But, mm-hmm. you know, I said that's that's what Mel needs to be doing as a coach is allowing that upstairs staff of his to do that. That's all a part of the game now at this point with the video replay. So I can't fault him for it. You fault the refs for allowing it to go that long. But, you know, to me, the, the hockey game today was a game where you just got to watch really good flow of hockey going back and forth. There were no big interruptions besides that after the goal that really killed the flow of the game. I don't know. It was it was just a good it was a good hockey game to watch and the refs weren't a deciding factor in it in any way. It I would prefer that over what we've seen on some of the other games this year every time. Well, even yesterday, you know, you had 10 penalties total. The big one that maybe he's stuck in his head was in the second period yesterday. Jake Crespi got called for interference, and that one and Dirk called this out in the moment. He like it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, uh, that one I don't get either. Because the Michigan State player tried to bat down the puck with his hand, so he and he hit it. So he's the last person to touch the puck, and Crespi hip checks him, and he goes down. And they call interference. Well, he's the last guy to touch the puck, and the puck's right there. It's not interference. It didn't make sense. Um, but I don't have any real complaints over the refs over the weekend because, like, there were, you know, sometimes there were calls that, like, went the other way where, like, uh, there was one time where Tech, like, was down a man and drew a penalty almost immediately on the next. Yep. Yeah. The, yeah. The... So that was it. Yeah. So Rockwell took a tripping penalty. 
Um, and 10 seconds later, uh, Michigan State got called for interference. Like, if they're really going to be, like, lopsided, I don't expect to get that call where you're calling a penalty on the team that's on the power play. Like, they, you, I wouldn't expect that if it if Big Ten refs are a legitimate concern in any way. So, yeah, that's that's about all I got on that. So now the one thing left to do is preview Arizona State series. Uh, we got a Saturday-Sunday series this week um, with Sunday's game, I think, being 5 o'clock Eastern, if my app is correct. I think that finally got announced. All I know is that with this weekend or this week's hockey games on the last two days in the middle of the week, work being all messed up with the holidays, I'm going to have no idea what day it is come Monday next week. I'm going to be just screwed. (laughs) Yeah, so they got a Saturday 9 o'clock game and a Sunday 5 o'clock game for the people listening in Houghton. What's our streaming option for those? Do Do we know? I don't even know yet if that's going to be on anything. I should look into that at some point, or maybe Jay-Z will figure it out for a preview. Oh, don't you remember the Twitter feud from a few weeks ago? Apparently, Arizona State has a free feed. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Was it on YouTube or something? <laughs> that Twitter that Twitter fight with Denver was fantastic. That, I just remember them yelling at North Dakota and Denver fans about it. Yeah, so, so it's probably streamed somewhere. We'll figure that out in the preview. Uh, you can go find Jay-Z's preview. That'll probably be out thursday or friday and this might not come out till friday depending on when i find time to edit it and other stuff comes out yeah we'll get to watch right now tech and arizona state are 15 and 16 in the pairwise going into you know after the gli and i don't think there are any more games until uh that matter until friday so it'll stay that way till this podcast drops i you know, I don't know what to think of this series because I don't know much about Arizona State other than the fact that I hope the hell we beat the crap out of them after the way they've that we've kind of had to deal with them over the years. But I just don't know if that's what's actually going to happen. Well, I mean, the, the last time we played them, they were both uh, – the last couple times we played them, they've been close games, right? They're, they've been they've been good games, a one OT game, one game being a, a one-goal game are the two losses we've got to them, so – and my hope is is that uh, and we can play them tight and, and make sure we we come away with the wins. They're from looking at their stats page, they're a pretty top heavy team in terms of who scores for them. I mean, they've got they got two players that are up already above twenty points, and that's the majority of their production uh, from a goals perspective. So you know, it sounds like stopping that top line of theirs is is the way to go, right? So. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Blended Scotch Whiskey. Keep him yeah, right. Keep him off the score sheet, and they'll probably have win. <laughs> yeah, if you keep him off the score exactly. sheet, exactly. Johnny shape. Johnny Walker is is one of their big. Not only is he a big point getter from if I remember right from games in the past, he's also that under your skin instigator. Please don't take penalties against him, kind of guy either, because he's gonna be there. He's gonna be the guy chirping the bench, you know, causing trouble. So. You know, hopefully we can stick to our game and have another game where, you know, the penalty minutes aren't a big factor. Maybe. We'll see what happens. So we've got, they've played three teams that we've played. They split with Michigan State in middle de- middle of December, the middle of December, uh, 4-3 on the first game, and then lost one nothing in overtime on uh, in the second game. And those were in East Lansing. And then they split with, Alaska in Fairbanks, they lost 4-3 the first night and won 4 nothing the second night. 
and then they got swept by Minnesota State. Um, and I think that was the weekend before we got swept by Minnesota State, but they got crushed 4-1 and 5 nothing. I don't really know what to take from that other than I think, you know, the way Michigan State played and the fact that we beat them and, and you know, played an even game and, and took it over at the end, like I feel like that gives us a little bit of a leg up. I mean, I, you guys want to take a stab at what you think is going to happen this weekend? Dustin? I, I think it's going to be a pretty evenly matched series, really. Um, they we're we're pretty far along in the season, and these two teams are right next to each other in a pairwise. And at this point in time, the pairwise is starting to get a little bit more credibility. They should be pretty evenly matched. Uh, the results kind of show that same too. They they played Michigan State close, and you know Tech played Michigan State close. I mean Tech maybe performed a little bit better, like you said. They they pulled away in the end. So I think Tech probably has the the advantage. Um. I, I do think that it is going to be tough to get a sweep, but it's definitely possible, and, and, and really Tech should sweep this series against a team like this if, if they really want to uh, go into the postseason in the NCAAs. And uh, I really I think they will, too. I, I think that they're going to build off the GLI momentum. Yeah, I think the, the big thing that, makes a difference this weekend is the defensive side of things looking at their schedule when they have won games they've won them by putting up you know three or more goals in all of their wins except for uh one win they they haven't had a lot of close low scoring games so you know if we can hold them to one or two goals i think we've got a really good chance of, of coming out there with a couple wins so hopefully the the d can stand them up i agree but I want the sweep, but it's hard not to just pick a split because the, I think the teams are so evenly matched. And the, the one thing that'll be interesting to see is just how many Tech fans managed to get in the building with how small it is. Because I think I would have gone, but my flight stuff got screwed up. And then I, you know, I don't know how I would have gotten tickets because there weren't a lot available. And I think there are people that want tickets that can't get them anymore. Or they might be paying a lot to try and get them from the few people that are going to sell what they have. So that'll be interesting to see. Right, and the Phoenix area is going to have a decent amount of alumni presence too, being, you know, the, when we had the tournament down there, there was a decent amount of people from, from Tech that were there for the uh, the winter the winter Classic or whatever it was a few years ago uh, that was in Phoenix. There was a decent amount of Tech uh, fans there. So I think you, you got the ability to have a decent Tech crowd at an away game. But like you said, it's in such a small arena that there's not the availability of tickets is pretty low. I think the other thing that may play in a little bit here is I don't think we have the we don't have the fun of a bus trip to an airport this this weekend, right? We're flying right out of Detroit down to Phoenix. You know, makes it a little bit simpler on the on the travel side of things compared to a normal flying road trip for tech where you're driving to Minneapolis or, you know, Chicago or wherever to fly out. So, you know, maybe Maybe that plays into a little bit of an advantage from a travel perspective for us too. That the travel is a little bit easier than what it normally would be. That's definitely going to help when it's a when it's a short turnaround, for sure. Yeah. Well, the one good thing is at least Arizona State played Sunday as well. I mean, I know we played Monday, Tuesday, but it's it's not a bad thing that Tech, you know, they get the direct flight from Detroit to Arizona to Phoenix. That's a good thing. You know, they're all there. There's no distractions with schoolwork this week. So they're basically focused on that series. And, I, you know, it 
they're going to know how important this is for the season. They're going to know that, you know, I ran, you know, in the abstract of just those two games, Tech could either be 11th or 20th on the, somewhere between 11th and 20th, depending on whether they sweep or get swept. Those are the extremes right now on just those games. Obviously, everything else that happens this weekend will have an impact, but, you know, it's a big swing. And, and Dustin, you said it a couple of weeks ago where, like, you know, where you are at the new year is important. To, you know, it's a good predictor whether or not you make the tournament. So right now, Tech's on the bubble, and if they find a way to sweep this series, they're right there at 11, and they're in a good shape to be, you know, if they can win – 70% of their games the rest of the way and make the J WCHA championship game, they're probably in whether they win that game or not. And if they don't sweep this weekend, they're probably going to have to win that tournament to get in. It's as simple as that. So it's a big deal. And there aren't many other games left for non-conference in the WCHA to make a difference. I think the only things that are left are the, the Huntsville against North Dakota, and then I think Alaska, or Anchorage still has a series left against somebody, and that's it. Yeah, we're almost done with the out-of-conference, right? And, and we're not getting any wins from either of those. Yeah, we're not going to get wins from those other four games, more than likely, unless some, some crazy stuff happens or, you know, some goalie sits on his head and the other team just can't find the net or whatever. But it, it's unlikely. Slim to none. So tech, the only way Tech can get in without winning the tournament is by winning this sweeping this weekend and winning a bunch of games the rest of the year and um, and getting to that championship game more than likely and the conference schedule is pretty favorable the rest of the way it, it's not easy there's definitely there's challenges on the schedule but well the first half was tougher right they don't see Mankato the rest of the way they, there's Bowling Green on there and Bemidji and both of those teams are good and Northern's always going to be tough but there's no reason to believe that they can't go and win a, a majority of the games and, and really finish strong this year. It, the, the schedule, I think, uh, sets up nicely from a standpoint of it's not too easy. It, you don't want to go in and only play, uh, you know, the really you know, poor teams down the stretch. And it also, you're, you're avoiding Mankato. So it, it sets up really nice, I think, that they should be able to put up a pretty nice uh, record the rest of the year, I, I think. I hope so, because it, it, it's basically the flip of last year where they got the easy, the majority of their easy games were in the first half, and they did well in those, and then they fell apart when it got tough. You've got Bowling Green and, and Bemidji State and pretty much the rest, and Northern, and pretty much there's a big gap in the middle there where it should be teams that they they don't lose to there should you know there should be a 10 game win streak in there so it'll be interesting to see what happens but this weekend is huge is that pretty much it guys yeah i think so yep i think that sums up the the arizona state stuff for sure well that should do it for this episode of the chasing mcnaughton podcast please check out our patreon and join by visiting patreon.com slash tech hockey guy patrons at our black level or above receive an authentic michigan tech jersey patch and access to extra podcast content, including the unpublished episode zero and extended episodes plus early release. Follow us on Twitter at ChasingMacPod or at Tech Hockey Guide. You can submit questions to our email address, ChasingMac at TechHockeyGuide.com or send voice message directly at anchor.fm slash ChasingMacPod. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast 
on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find the podcast on our on your site of choice, please let us know and we'll make it happen. Uh, please check out Jonathan's Made a Series previews every Friday, which he predicted the exact score of the Michigan State game again and predicted that Tech would win the GLI. Nicely done, Jonathan. And Mike Antleitner's Old Dog in Texas columns every Wednesday this week which will probably already be out by the time you hear this. There's a nice uh, interview with Jim Warden, former Tech goalie. Uh, there should be some seminar content on Mondays and Tuesdays going forward from Matt Cavender and myself. You can find all this and more at techhockeyguide.com. As always, special thanks to Mitch Lake for being kind enough to record a new introduction for the podcast and our patron saint, Doc McRezin, for his generous donation to get this thing running. We hope you enjoy. Also, thanks to the thank you notes for all the bumpers in this week's episode. If you like what you hear, check them out at thethankyounotes.bandcamp.com.